just, you want a little clip that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like, ooh. But I'm really not funny. No, no. And we shouldn't have a podcast. What? <laughs> okay. Oh, Captain, my Captain. everyone welcome back i'm harper i'm jonathan and this is hot guys and today today yes today we're talking about the classic uh very well known and well received film mystery date yeah um but first jonathan why don't you tell the people what we do on this show and what we're all about sure well on this program on this here program we talk about, uh, we go chronologically through the filmography of acclaimed American cinema icon, Ethan Hawke, mm-hmm. and uh, we discuss each film for its merits and demerits, and we try to find uh, the essence of Hawkness, the true, what makes an Ethan Hawke performance. Indeed. Yeah. So today we're talking about the 1991. Did you already say that? Uh, I just said we were talking about mystery date, but I did not say what year it was from. So okay, feel crucial. Free to we're talking about the 1991 context. film, Mystery Date, directed by Jonathan Wax. That's W A C K S. Yes. Not W A X, which would have been probably a little cooler. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Anyway, let's dive in. I guess. Yeah. 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 So, I believe this is our first shirtless hawk sighting. Oh. Uh, The film opens on a montage, I believe, of him seeing Terry Polo all over town. Yeah. Uh, Her name is Gina. Well, he sees her, like, he sees her on the beach or whatever. Yeah. And she's, like, looking at him, and he has this, like, opening... Like voiceover, which is always a great way to start a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with that's voiceover. Exactly what they tell you in any screenwriting class that yeah. voiceovers are exactly what you should do. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And he's like talking about this girl that he sees on the beach, and it's Terry Polo, who's playing Gina I mean, Matthews. Gina Matthews, yes. And. Uh, He's talking about how he, like, the moment or whatever, that he wants to talk to her. And then someone, like, goes between them. They're, like, making eye contact. Someone gets between them. Mm-hmm. And then it would get to have that moment. Yeah. Um, Terry Polo, you might know from The West Wing in her role as Helen Santos. Uh, or from The Fosters. Her role is Steph Foster uh, of The Foster of The Fosters. Uh-huh. Um, so she and has... Where, where might we know Ethan Hawke from? Oh, we might know Ethan Hawke from Predestination, the 2014 film. <laughs> uh, sure. Or uh, Daybreakers, I believe, okay. from 2009. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I think those are what he's best known for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this was interesting to watch because I'm very familiar with Terry Polo as a wife and mother kind of character. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. And in this movie, she's, you know, this is before I was really familiar with her, before I was uh, alive, you know. So, um, 
so she was playing a younger character who was just on a date with a guy. Yeah. Very different kind of role. Yeah. Well, she was younger then. Also, another exciting uh, guest appearance in this movie. It doesn't take place at the beginning, but um, we were watching the opening credit sequences, and I got really excited. Um, for Guar. Be- for who? Guar. You were excited for uh, shock rock death metal band Guar? Oh, yeah. Totally. Okay. I thought this was your talking about, but go on. I'm sorry. No. Um, uh, B.D. Wong. Yeah. B.D. Wong is a personal favorite of mine, um, and one of my many dreams and passions is to write a book about him and uh, Ming-Na Wen, and you would know the two of them as the voices of Mulan and Sheng in Mulan, Disney's Mulan. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know B.D. Wong from everything forever, and he's amazing, and I was very excited to see him in this movie. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk about him a little bit later on. Yeah. Once we get to his appearance. So, basic premise of this movie. First off, had you heard of this movie before? Um, I don't think I had heard of it except for in my preparation for doing this entire podcast where I had made like a spreadsheet yeah. of all of the movies. So, I only knew that much about it. Like, I knew the name and what the uh, the poster looked like, really. Right. Yeah. Because uh, I had never heard of this movie before. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was going to be about. When it started, I was kind of expecting, like, a slightly, like, a kind of hokey rom-com type thing. And it kind of was that. Mm -hmm. But it also kind of just went totally off the rails. Yeah, I was expecting, like, a kind of, like, more more teen, less crime. Yes. Uh, Kind of like a John Hughes kind of movie. Sure. I don't think I've seen any John Hughes movies. You haven't seen Breakfast Club? Okay, no, I've seen Breakfast Club. Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I have seen Ferris Bueller's 16 Day Off. Candles? I have not seen 16 Candles. Oh, okay. okay, well, so you've seen, seen two-thirds two of, of his yeah. films. Well, he is way more than that, but yeah. Wait, really? Yeah, John they Hughes? They let you make more than three movies? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just him. He's the only one. He Well, um, I think there are some other big ones that might have made more than three movies. Okay, because I know that Martin Scorsese can... only made... Hmm. Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, and uh, Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> Those are three, the only three movies. He yeah. Made. And uh, it's really funny to think about Taxi Driver and Hugo being in the same uh, sentence. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Catherine Bigelow only made one movie, The Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Any Catherine Bigelow stands out there? Me. I like I like her movies. Detroit was amazing. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Support female filmmakers. Yeah. That's all. Okay. Um, so Ethan Hawk's parents are dog show people. They have like a like a show dog that's like, you know, bred and beautiful and so at the beginning you think maybe it's like a party to celebrate Ethan Hawk that the parents are having, but it's a party to celebrate the dog. Uh yeah. And so that's, I feel like that kind of gives you a little, like a little, you know, screenwritery insight to the character. Yeah. And uh, his brother, who is played by Brian McNamara, who, let's see what we might know him from, IMDb, uh, Short Circuit, Arachnopolis, oh, and I Know Who Killed Me, 
and Billionaire Boys Club. Oh, have you heard of that movie? Billionaire no, Boys I Club? haven't. Billionaire Boys Club was the movie. Oh, wait, no. This is 1987. Uh, so this must, maybe this is a remake. There was this movie called Billionaire Boys Club that came out in like 2017, I think. And mm-hmm. it was uh, starring Kevin Spacey post allegations. <laughs> and it was not received terribly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what I think I know him from is Army Wives. Oh, okay. Um, uh, he, oh, it seems like he does a lot of TV. Yeah, he was uh, one of the Army husbands of um, Army Wives. I thought it was just about Army Wives. Well, I mean, the husbands aren't there all the time, but he, like, worked on the base where they lived a lot, so mm-hmm. he was in the show uh, pretty often. Slap into base. Uh, and he was also a minor character on the OC, which, now that I see his face as an older man, I do remember. Uh-huh. He played Luke's dad, who was uh, having an affair with another man at the car dealership. What? The OC? Yeah, the OC. I have not seen it, but I have seen... Uh... All of One Tree Hill. All of One Tree Hill, which yeah. is obviously going to be our next podcast. Oh, yeah. Once we get through all 70 million Ethan Hawke <laughs> movies. It's only like 82 or something. Yeah, and he makes like three a year. That's true. Yeah, we'll never catch Plus, up we to have him. To, like, we have to, we're going to have to do episodes about his like books. Yeah. About his... I'll have to actually read a book. Yeah. That's why we <laughs> primarily communicate through audio content. Yeah. It's because none of us know how to read. Um... Okay, so there's a scene early on in the film where Ethan Hawke, he has, like, one of those, uh, what are those things called? Where you look at the sky? Telescopes. Telescopes, that's the word. He has a telescope. And predictably, he's pointed it at the girl uh-huh. next door, Terry Polo, and he's creeping on her. Or actually, I think he might be, well, he, so he does have a telescope, but the, I think there's another scene where he's outside, and he's like lurking on her oh yeah i mean it's the scene where there's one scene at the beginning that's establishing his interest in her yeah where he goes out at night wearing all black and he like steals her trash oh yeah so that he can look inside of the the garbage bag and see like learn more about her yeah and she thinks she hears something yeah and he bumps into the trash cans Mm -hmm. which is exactly like explorers Mm mm-hmm this, the scene in Explorers where he's like floating up. In oh, space to bubble. look at the girl through the window. Through the window. In that case, he's like ten or whatever. But yeah. And then he falls down and like crashes into the bushes or the cans or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Oh, why was that noise?" And he's like, "Oh, I was just I don't, I don't remember." Yeah, I'm imagining if this movie was from the perspective of Gina Matthews, that it might be a little different. Uh-huh. Or like if I wrote if I rewrote it from her perspective, it would be a little more like a horror movie, like. You know, at first you like you feel like you're being watched all the time, uh-huh. and then you hear something outside, and then this like random person calls you and sets you up on a date, you know, right. and then you end up on this weird uh, mystery date, yeah, <laughs> where you end up being kidnapped. So I think the Gina Matthews version of mystery date would be kind of possibly more interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, there's in most of the movies we've seen so far, except I think for White Fang, there's like some creepy dude stuff going on. Because in Explorers, there's that scene that I mentioned where he's like creeping on her through the window. Mm-hmm. And then in Dead Poet Society, it's not him, but there's uh, Josh Charles. 
Right, yeah. Just doing some creepy stuff. Yeah. And then, what's the, th- after that was White Fang. Dad. Oh, Dad, I don't think. Dad didn't really have anything, yeah. yeah. But those, so White Fang and Dad are movies almost exclusively about men. About men, men yeah. <laughs> There's no women, basically. Yeah. So yeah, like three-fifths of the movies we've seen so far, there's been some creepy, creepy stuff going on. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that as we go. Yeah. The, the creep factor of the Ethan Hawke films. Yeah. Um, one interesting, fun thing about that uh, telescope scene, or, yeah, is that um, Crazy by Seal is playing, and oh, I feel yeah. like it really sets the mood for the early 90s, in case you forgot yeah, the music, everything, the clothes, everything was very, like... And, uh, what's his face? Brian McNamara, who plays his older brother, who's ostensibly coming back from college. Craig McHugh. Mm-hmm. He is... He's got some, like, wild style happening. He's mm-hmm. got, like, the big shoulder, like, Armani-style suits. Like, the, the like, tribal pattern shirt. The tie mm-hmm. and like all that stuff, sick glasses, great hair. It's all it's all working. It made me think of like Dickie Greenlee from um, the talented Mr. Ripley. Mm, yeah, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I believe you. Yeah, it's like the the cooler. Is that Jude Law? Yeah. Okay. Jude yeah. Law is yeah, Dickie yeah. Greenleaf in that case. I haven't seen that movie actually. <laughs> I just know like just the character reminds me of from the book. Mm-hmm. I have read the book. So I lied. I have uh, read before. Oh, he's got an Elvis Costello poster on the wall. So mm, yeah, also... He's cool, but nerdy. Yeah, also a really big Michael Jordan uh, covering his entire closet door, I believe. Yeah. Uh, which shows that uh, he was alive in the 90s. Yeah. Because I think every person alive in the 90s had a really big Michael Jordan on their wall. Yeah, I mean, how could you not? How could you not? He's the Michael Jordan of basketball. He truly is. Um, another... Uh, <laughs> and he's the Michael <laughs> Jordan of baseball. <laughs> True. And of golf. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I um, just love the extent to which, like, Michael Jordan clearly does not give a fuck about anything. <laughs> yeah. Except his Hanes. His Hanes. Man loves his Hanes. He's, what, super rich? But he's rocking classic Hanes, 100% cotton, beefy tees. Tagless, collar doesn't roll up, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a t-shirt enthusiast. No, no, seriously, though, like, the Hanes underwear that I have is great. It's super soft. It, like, mm-hmm. keeps its shape. Hanes, if you're listening, <laughs> if any representative... Sponsor our show. Please sponsor our show. I know everyone's doing, like, the Tommy John, whatever. Yeah, Everlane, so whatever, whatever. We, we're here for Hanes. Tommy John, like, underwear is, like... Like what, twenty eight dollars? Yeah, Meandies, like, whatever, Modal. Yeah. What even is that? Yeah, I'm sorry, Meandies. Well, we're here for you too. Yeah. yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. listen. We'll show for you no matter what. Mm-hmm. But we love you all. Haynes, if we can get in on some of that large American corporation money, mm-hmm. that would be great. Um. Also, he has a Pink Floyd poster. Mm. I don't remember which one. I should have been more specific. I just wrote down Pink Floyd. I wonder if it's the one. I feel with like it's the, probably Dark Side of the Moon. I wonder if it's the one with the. Have you ever seen that one where it's like the ladies' backs, the women are like sitting and then they, on their backs is painted, the different, album covers. Oh no, I don't think so. Okay, well I guarantee you it's a thing. I believe you. 
Uh, I don't know why I was so like defensive <laughs> there. Uh, yeah, so his brother, Craig McHugh, is ostensibly, he's ostensibly, I'm going to use the word ostensibly one more time. Yes. And then that's the last one for the day. I think I've hit my annual quota of saying that word. Uh, he is purportedly <laughs> coming back from college. I think that's but worse. Craig McHugh is not all that he seems to be. Uh, and we'll get to that. Um, so he basically gets his gets uh, Ethan Hawke's character Tom. He played Tom, a character called Tom in a what's that f- movie? Dead. No. no, Dead Poet Society. What, what is his character called Tom? No, there's no way his character was Tom in Dead Poet Society. Yeah, what wasn't it? No. Okay, well it's too bad. There's literally no way to find out. I know. Dead Poet Society. IMDb. He was not Tom. He's Todd. Oh, same shit. No, it's Different not. Letter. Yeah, so it's not the same shit. Oh, Todd. Okay, yeah, you're right. Knox Overstreet. What a name. Who came up with this? Tom Shulman. Um, what was that Tom? Uh, he might have. Uh, do you know what his name was in Dad? That might have been what you're thinking of. Sorry, you're going to hear a lot of shuffling noises because Billy. Oh, he's Billy and Dad. Okay, it's variations on a theme. Yeah. Um, one more fun casting cast note is that their mom is played by uh, Marilyn Gann, who I know as uh, Amy Abbott's mom on Everwood. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, shouts out to Everwood. Great show. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Everwood. Um. Anyway, so his his brother comes in, and he's, like, looking out the telescope, and he sees the girl, Terry mm-hmm. Polo, Gina Matthews, and he's like, oh, who's that girl, or whatever, and he's like, oh, you know, I've seen her all around, but I haven't had asked her out, or whatever. He's like, oh, man, you gotta ask her out. So he picks up the phone, calls her, pretending to be Tom. Yeah, but quick note on how they call her. Uh, it's because he, the older brother, uh, has no qualms about the fact that Ethan Hawke, uh, Tom, has stolen her trash. Oh, so yeah. they just turn the trash upside down on the kitchen table until they find a bill or a receipt or something that has her phone number on it. And that's how they manage to call her. Jeez, I forgot that. Yeah, it's... Was I watching the same movie? I think you were. Okay, so yeah, so they call her, and he basically... He's like, oh, you know, I've been seeing you all over the place. And there's this kind of funny line where he's like, people are really starting to talk. Oh, you know, us. Just like, oh, okay. Uh, Uh... and then, you know, Ethan Hawke's, like, losing his mind. He's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. Yeah, what he says during this scene, which I loved because I really related to it, was, this is way too spontaneous. I need more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very. And so then they basically go and they, they, get, they get him set up for the date. And this mm-hmm. is important. Uh, they get him. A so haircut. 
huh? Oh. They get him a haircut, they get him clothes, they get him glasses. He's like, I don't wear glasses. He's like, oh, you look cooler or smarter or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so he's basically doing all these things to make him. And he says, like, oh, you look just like me. Uh, Craig says to Tom, Mm -hmm. you look just like me. And that's kind of, you think that he's just, like, a vain guy and he's doing this. But there's an ulterior motive to him wanting Tom to look like him. And so, big thing that happens is that he drives to Craig when he came back home to visit. Mm-hmm. He was driving this fancy old car. It's a 59 DeSoto something or other. Yes, yeah. And uh, he tells him, we're going to call you a limo so you can go pick up Gina, but you can't use my car, right? And so, Tom is waiting for... So, Craig goes out, whatever... Tom is waiting for... Oh, but Craig doesn't go out before the flower delivery man comes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so then the flower delivery man... Who is played by... Uh, Fisher Stevens, Fisher I Stevens. believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when Fisher Stevens comes with the flowers... Um, Dwight. Yes. Uh, Craig tells him uh, he's late and doesn't tip him. Yeah. Uh, you know, upsetting him, which is going to be important for the rest of the, the movie. Yeah. Um, and so as Fisher Stevens is backing out, he has his headphones on. He's not really, like, looking around. So he backs out into the limo that has been ordered right. for the date. And the guy driving the limo just, like, dips, basically. And then mm-hmm. Tom calls, like, frantically, like, oh, my God. I need that limo tonight. And he's like, yeah, well, everyone needs that limo tonight, but I can't. All right, it'll take a few hours. And he's like, doesn't know what to do. So he just nabs Craig's car, mm-hmm. goes driving with it uh, to go pick up Gina. Put my chair And uh, she... Uh, she asks him some questions when he first arrives to her door. Uh, some screener questions before she'll go out with him. Yeah. Um, the first is the last novel that he read, uh, which I kind of thought, I think that he was like a pretty well-read guy, but I think he might have just said whatever novel he saw her reading last. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. So that uh, he would seem more appealing to her. Yeah. Um, the second question was what the capital of Paraguay was. And Uruguay. Yeah. Which is obviously not the right answer. Yeah. And uh, number three was, who is his personal hero? And he said his older brother, Craig. And then she's like, most guys say Michael Jordan. Uh, And she makes fun of the idea of a guy showing up in a limo. And then Mm -hmm. he's like, someone really showed up in a limo? Ha, 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 ha. Even though he was planning on doing that. Mm -hmm. Fortuitous that he showed up in a suite. 60 whatever car 59 DeSoto yeah and they go to they go to this like cool tiki bar restaurant yeah. it's like hidden in a dock area or whatever mm-hmm. which we don't know exactly where the city is it has a bridge yeah it seems vaguely SF-ish but it's but also not... maybe we thought it would have could have been Seattle or something yeah. something on the west coast um northern northern ish yeah. But it's never clearly stated, and it was filmed in Vancouver, like everything. Oh. Yeah. Fun. Okay. So they go to this bar. He spills his drink on himself. 
So this is Tom and Gina. Uh, and he gets confused with his brother. And there's like some guys that are like, hey, you know. Yeah, a lot of people don't like Craig in town. Yes, and he's starting to sort of pick up on that mm-hmm. idea. And so then he goes to Gina. He's like, let's get out of here. They're driving around. And he goes, he gets to the gas station. Is there anything else? forgot to mention before that oh he drives off oh well um before there's there's like someone like in the parking lot that's looking around at the car before they get back into it yeah yeah and he is driving down the street and uh dwight the flower guy Mm -hmm. drives just happens to be driving next to them and he starts yelling stuff at him basically probably telling him to like you know f you or whatever but he can't really hear it. And so he like throws a bunch of flowers at them. And mm-hmm. she thinks that it's like, oh, this he planned this like crazy Yeah, and like thing. it's romantic. It's romantic, but this guy was just telling him off. And then the guy crashes the truck like on the like on the off ramp. Mm-hmm. And he pulls off or uh, Tom pulls off in the car. And they just kind of don't even like acknowledge the fact that this yeah. dude just crashed their car, crashed his car. And they're just like, oh, that was weird. And she still thinks it's romantic. Yeah. Her character makes no sense because she's like, like, absent-minded, but also smarter than him. Yeah, and seems like really critical of of potential romantic interests. Yeah, but also oblivious. Yeah. But also is just going along with this knowing that it just kind of it doesn't make any sense. This the whole movie doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um. And so they pull. Okay, so this is the part where it just absolutely goes off the rails. They stop at a gas station, and she she goes, she wants to go use the bathroom at the gas station. So she goes in, and it takes a while. And while that's not a comment, it's <laughs> not a comment. <sighs> Support women podcasters. Uh, for for listeners at home, uh, I I raised my eyebrow, Jonathan. Yeah. Suggesting that he was maybe saying something about how women take a long time in the restroom, or that she was pooping. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, whatever. She went in to do her business, whatever that was, and a <laughs> cop pulls up and is arresting Tom, and it's like, oh, you're under arrest. Uh, Craig and he's like I'm not Craig that's my brother or whatever and so he so the cop pins Tom against the trunk of his car mm-hmm. well he asked him to open the oh, trunk he asked him because to open he's it. looking for something right, right, right and right. so when he does open the trunk there's someone inside who's been waiting just to um, who's been waiting there to be able to kill Craig yeah this is the thing that makes no sense because the guy shoots the cop yeah. The cop dies. But then he says, I have two dead bodies in my trunk. So was did the guy did the gun accidentally go off in the trunk and then kill the cop? Or did the guy shoot and then die or something? Yeah. I yeah, I was unclear on how the guy. It seems in the like trunk it was supposed died. to be like an accident. Like the guy was waiting but then he died or something, and then the gun goes off. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely bizarre but the cop gets killed yeah somehow there are then two dead people in the trunk yes because tom picks up the dead cop puts the body in the trunk as if this is not like whatever puts the dead body in the trunk and as he's like 
closing it. He's like very stressed out. And then Gina comes back out and she's like, oh, what's going on? And he's like, oh, nothing. He's obviously being entirely suspicious yeah. this entire time. And she's like, okay. So then they hop back in the car and they drive off. I'm just going to say really quickly, uh, for the listeners at home, we had some technical difficulties uh, uh, where we stopped recording and we didn't realize it for about 15 minutes. Was it really 15 minutes? I think it it felt like it. Maybe it was 10. (laughs) Uh, It was at least 10 minutes um, that we we thought we were recording, but we're not successfully recording. Uh, So if we sound uh, crazy... It's because we just did this, and we're going to try again. Okay, so the Dwight the flower guy. Yes. Uh, sees, he pulls up to the gas station where they just were. Mm-hmm. He sees, like, a hat and the blood on the ground. Yes, from the cop. From the cop, yeah. Because this is, you know, the 1930s. It's mm-hmm. Dick Tracy. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> And so he picks it up, and then the cops show up. The other cops. There are more than one. There's more than one cop in this place. There's more than one cop? Yeah. So the cop shows up. Seems wrong. And he... They arrest Dwight, the flower guy. Uh, And meanwhile... uh, Tom and Gina are at... They go to a club... Yes, they go to Club Voltaire because uh, Tom found something in, I think, his his jacket pocket, which is really Craig's jacket pocket, that said Club Voltaire on it. So he thought maybe that was a place where he could catch up with Craig yeah. uh, because he was supposed to be meeting up with some of his friends. So they get to the club and he goes to the bar. Yes, but this club isn't a apple bottom jeans and boots of the fur kind of club. <sighs> No, there's a uh, a metal thrash thrash metal metal club. I guess. Uh, Um, because who's playing? Guar. Guar. Yes. Sounds familiar. Who who are they? They're uh. They're a real band, not a fake band. They're hundred percent real band Mm -hmm. from uh, Richmond, Virginia. Comprised of a rotating lineup of musicians. And their lead singer, Dave Brocky passed away in 2014, but they still continue with some of the other members that were in the group. Um, you just sound like you're like running through it, like you've already done this. <laughs> Maybe I have. Uh, and so their whole thing is that they have these like really kind of elaborate shows that they do where they're like perform violent things. They all have these crazy masks. I was looking at a YouTube video of them performing and then someone described them as like what the power rangers villains look like <laughs> um they have like a scene they, they do there's a scene in the movie and this is something that they do where like, they like perform a decapitation and like blood splurts out on the audience and all that stuff so it's mm-hmm. kind of like the thing that they do uh yeah um such stagecraft regularly leads guar to be labeled as a shock rock band by the media this according to wikipedia so he's looking for his brother at this mm-hmm. club oh yeah so he's uh he's mistaken once again for craig by a woman who slaps him like right. craig uh really has wronged every woman in this uh northern town 
Yeah, he alludes to that earlier where he's like, oh, you've never been slapped before? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no. And he's like, oh, I've been slapped many times. Yeah. Um, and now Tom has been slapped many times by the woman thinking he's Craig. And the one person does recognize that he's not Craig is the bartender. Right. Uh, who tells him that he thinks Craig might be upstairs if he's looking for him. Right. So he goes upstairs, and instead of finding Craig, he finds a dead guy. And there's Chinese... It's a Chinese symbol on the wall. And so he steps towards the dead man, and the dead man is also Chinese, which is relevant. And so he goes towards him, and he slips in the blood, and he gets the symbol that's been must relatively freshly painted on the wall in blood. Yeah. He gets it on his back, on the back of his shirt. Yeah, and, and Gina comes in and is like, oh, are you up here? And he's like, <laughs> I don't know, I'm making her sound like an old lady. Oh, are you up here? And he's like, oh, I no, I'm not. Just give me a second. Mom. Mom. <laughs> he, like, runs out. He, like, puts on his jacket so that she doesn't see that there's blood on the back mm-hmm. of his shirt. And... Uh, She's like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, let's get out of here. Because like, this is not their scene because, you know, whatever. And she's like, yeah, this is a wild place. And as they're leaving this club, they get back in their car. And as they're <laughs> leaving this club, a cop stops them because they have a flat. And he yeah. helps them fix. Oh, he he wants to get the tire out of the trunk. And Tom's like, no, 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 don't do that. And he gets the tire himself or whatever. Yeah, and that's just like... You know, this any a better cop would have been like, "What's in your trunk?" Yeah, the, this this entire movie is built on the premise that everyone's like at least a little bit stupid. Yeah, uh, and so he gets the tire out, they fix it, and then as they're driving off, the cop's like, "Wait, wait, stop!" Because there's blood on the ground, and he like, you know, so he puts his fingers in it, and, like smells it or whatever, and then so Tom is like, "Oh, it's just radiator fluid." He's like, that's not radiator fluid. This must be transmission fluid. You gotta go get your car checked out. He's like, oh, okay. And he gets in the car, drives off. And uh, I would love to see Jonathan Zavala's one man show version of Mystery Date. Uh, no. You've done a series of astounding impressions this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Oh no, now the people know that we're recording at night. We're recording what? At night. No, they don't. Why would they know that? What so, did you say? I said this evening. Oh, well, this evening could be any time of day, really. Oh, that's true. Are we going to release them in, in the evening? Evening is temporal neutral. Yeah. Um, I still believe in time. <laughs> uh, Has you even might not by the time. SNL? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I feel like we would know. I feel like we would know. Um, that would be something that we would have to have an episode about. For sure. Yeah, but I I didn't see him on any have I didn't see any SNL credits. Yeah. For him, maybe he will. There's still time. Because I mean, Ethan Hawke loved SNL's Dead Poet Society spoof. Maybe when they finally, when they finally cast him in a Star Wars movie, he'll be big enough for SNL. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, Ethan Hawke is a big Star Wars fan, and would like to be in one one day. Yeah. Anyway, the only thing about SNL that it says online is that he he loved the spoof that they did with the mm-hmm. the post farewell, Mr. Bunting. Yeah. I love that so much. Um, 
so where were we um oh so yeah then uh they go to chinatown yeah so that ethan hawk tom can have a chinese person read the symbol on his back yeah i think there was another reason too i think that the dead guy had a piece of paper in his hands that maybe had an it had a phone number for sure but maybe also an address Uh so they went somewhere in chinatown because of they were following clues uh yeah so they're in chinatown and then uh yeah he says there aren't a lot of chinese people in chinatown and then she's like it gets really touristy on the weekends i'm sure all the chinese people are like inside making money right now that's just the exchange they had i don't know it felt like kind of unnecessary right like not that it was like like you know problematic or anything it just felt like unnecessary screenwriting yeah like just something to fill the time Right. While they were walking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then that's around the same time that I wrote in my notes, I think the screenwriting is bad. Uh, with two question marks after it. Uh-huh. Uh, because I was I was trying to figure out the whole time whether I thought it was bad or not. Because I... Because. I feel like I say cuz too much. I'm trying to... What's up, cuz? Cuz. Um, because I think that this movie has a lot of potential to be fun like a fun romp but i think what gets in the way is the screenwriting is not very good like if it you know if if that was a little bit better then i could lose myself more in the adventure but it's just that nothing makes sense and the things that they're saying aren't like very interesting yeah so uh yeah so i think those are really the problems with this movie yeah anyway but back to the plot um (laughs) so he she's walking around and he's like oh you know what i'm gonna she goes to see a fortune teller Uh and then he um he's like i'm gonna go get a restaurant recommendation but he just follows this chinese guy all the way into his house (laughs) and like it seems like he's gonna rob him yeah yeah um but then he's like no 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 i just needed to tell me what this what this says on my back right um and then the guy tells him it means look in pot and that it's an ancient chinese proverb about yeah. uh the value of something inside right being more than the thing the pot yeah basically the, the story is that he f- they, this poor guy is given a pot and he He's, like, hungry all the time. He doesn't know what to do. He never looks inside the pot, and inside the pot is a bunch of gold or something. Mm-hmm. And he could have had money to buy himself food, but he didn't. Yeah. Because he didn't check. Yep. It's like me with my Venmo balance, you know? <laughs> Keeping it relevant. Uh, That's so true, but um, Venmo balance is the gift that never stops giving. Yeah, so always check your Venmo balance, people. Yeah. So they, they end up at this restaurant, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, I think, uh, real quick before that, the fortune teller, um, sees him and says that he's an imposter. Oh, yeah. And, and he was, freaks out. Yeah. Because he doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want Gina to know what's going on. Right. Yeah. He keeps, he keeps freaking out and she keeps, like, going along with going it. Just going along with it. Yeah. Which is insane. Wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they end up at, oh, so they are, they're going outside and they're gonna leave, but then these two, uh tough like gang guys 
um, come up to them and say, yeah, one of them holds a gun to his back, and they say, oh, come with us to Shailu, right. which is this um, Chinese restaurant. And that's where we see B.D. Wong. Yeah. Mr. Liu himself. Yeah. Um, He's wearing a dope shirt. Mm-hmm. So he's got like a white shirt, white button-down shirt with like these little like, like they look kind of like snake emblems on his collars. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's very cool. Yeah, and he has a really um, he has an accent. Yeah, he's that's... doing this very affected manner of yeah. speaking, which is very unusual. And so they they bring out they bring them out a bunch of food, and Tom keeps being like, "Oh, we should leave," and she's like, "No, let's stay. They're bringing us food." And he's like, oh, I think they're going to kill us. And she's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, she, this, this this scene is really weird because this is the scene where she finds out that there's a dead dude in the trunk, I think. She find, she starts to find things out, basically, about what's going on. My notes start to get really slim around this point. So, so, she, start, so she starts to figure out what's going on in this scene, basically. Uh, because uh, Lou confronts Tom, who he thinks is Craig. Because everyone thinks it's Greg. Yeah. And the thing that she's 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 very calm about everything, until she finds out that it was not Tom who called her. It was Craig. Mm, yeah. And then she gets really mad, which is funny. And then she figures out where Craig is. She like does something on the phone. Oh yeah. Well, I think uh, before that though, they have to get out of the restaurant so that they're not, you know. Killed. Oh yeah. So um, uh, Tom creates a diversion and he says it's Lou's birthday. Let's all sing happy birthday. And so then everyone from the entire restaurant starts to like close in on Lou, um, which allows them to escape, which was actually pretty clever. I think that's like the smartest thing that happens in the entire movie. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. She figures out how to get to Craig. Yeah, yeah because that. Uh, some trick from when she was working retail where you could find the address that's associated with a phone number uh-huh. by calling some other number. Right. So that's what they did. And so then they go to this um, kind of like warehousey apartment. Yeah. Where Craig lives. And he has all this art on his walls. Mm-hmm. And he stole it. So, okay. I didn't actually get this. Why were they after Craig? So, they, it was a pot. Yeah, there was a vase. It right. was, uh, which was probably, like, a pretty, uh, you know, expensive vase. But that wasn't what they were looking for. There was a tape that would prove uh, that Lou was in cahoots with some of the cops. Yeah. There were crooked cops, and so that tape was inside of the vase. Right. Um, however, uh, so that's why they were looking for Craig, because Craig stole the vase, and then he like sold it to someone else. And so that night, what Craig was doing was he was stealing the vase back from uh-huh. the people he had sold it to, oh, okay. um, because uh, so that he could uh, sell it back to Lou. Uh-huh. But what he didn't know was that it's the tape that they were really looking for, and the tape wasn't even in there anymore. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then what happens? <laughs> um, oh, so uh, 
Terry Polo, what's her name? Gina. Yeah. Gina gets upset um, because, uh, you know, she had been misled the whole time. And so she leaves because um, she doesn't really want to be on this weird date anymore. And uh, when she's walking out, though, Lou is out there and he kidnaps her. Right. And Tom is watching as this happens um, from the window. And so he runs down and he's like, you know, give her back. And then Lou says, you have until two in the morning to get me the vase and the tape back. Right. And then there's some fun stuff where Lou and Gina are at his place together. And he tries to, like, get her to have some champagne and just talk with him, uh, you know, in a kind of, like, fun captive scenario. Uh Uh-huh. Instead of a... Uh, evil kidnapper. Right. You know. He's trying to be all small off yeah. about it. Um and his two henchmen, I think it's pretty uh silly. Um they're named Ben and Jerry and he says, Ben, Jerry, why don't you guys go get some ice cream? I think Classic. that's uh another example of that shining screenwriting. Yeah. Here. It really just feels like something that someone always wanted to put in a script and they finally had an opportunity. Yeah. Oh, and then there's another uh, thing with the flower delivery guy. Yeah. He finds them again, I guess. Yeah, well, this is where Tom is by himself at this point because he's trying to... um, He's trying to find Craig still so that they could get Gina back. Um, But he... uh, he so he goes to the house and he's not there, but he finds the tape and it's like a whole thing. I don't know. I really kind of feel like my attention dwindled towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be perfectly honest. All right. Well, some big, um, big, big beats. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. But the flower delivery guy and are you really eating chips on this audio podcast? Uh. <laughs> I could, like, you're not even, like, biting it yet, and I could hear it against your teeth. Really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Eat something soft. Eat that donut. Oh, God, yeah. All right, I'll have one more. Okay, I'm gonna, we're gonna wait until you're done. (laughs) I was, I had a few before, too. Oh, I didn't notice. You didn't notice? Well, I should have. I wasn't, I just wasn't thinking about it. I was trying to be quiet about it. I probably, I'll probably be able to hear it back though. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm like, uh, you know, in one of those scenes from the first episode of Teen Wolf where like Scott has his, uh, his, he suddenly has this werewolf hearing, uh-huh. and so he could hear something from all the way across the room uh, for yeah. the first time. You know. I I was thinking this is like ASMR, you know. It's not like ASMR. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is me slurping water. Yeah, well, this, this is all crink- saying it. Crinkling paper, right? Isn't, isn't that a big thing? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty nice. It is. Yeah, I don't hate that one. Okay, how about this one? Are you need another chip. Yeah, just a small one. <sighs> We've already listened to two. <laughs> More than that. Well, at least two. Okay. So, oh, you stop. Oh, okay. Sorry. Finish chewing before you talk. I forgot what the rest of this movie's about, so I'm gonna wait for you. <sighs> okay, go on. 
Okay, so there's another like confrontation with the flower guy and Tom on the on a bridge this time because Tom's car breaks down or something. Yeah. And so then he somehow ends up hanging off the bridge. And then the flower guy sees him, and he's like, oh, I could help you, but nah. Um, but then he ends up getting blown off the bridge and onto the train the train tracks. Yeah, he gets hit, run over by a train. Yeah, he gets run over by a train. Survives. He's alive, but he looks like he was run over by a train. Yeah. And then Ethan Hawke, Tom, manages to pull himself up off the side of the bridge. Yeah. And then he ends up taking the flower truck. Right, and that's how he breaks into yeah. the... and that's the, how he gets into Lou's apartment. Lou's, yeah, because he's like, oh, flower delivery. He's like, and the guy, the security guy's like, oh, at 2 a.m.? He's like, yeah, I guess there's some girl he's trying to impress. He's like, oh, yeah, the girl. Go right ahead. Yeah, but I was, like, kind of confused by the security guard's delivery because I kind of thought that, and maybe I was reading too much into it, but the way he said the girl wasn't like, oh, yeah, like, of course he's trying to impress some girl. It kind of sounded more like, oh, I know you're full of shit, but you're, because he's gay, but. Oh, yeah, You know what I mean? Like, it was a weird delivery. I'll insert it here. What are you going to do about it? I want a divorce. Hi, um, I got a flower delivery for Mr. Lou. Flowers at uh, two in the morning? Yeah, no kidding. It's uh, some kind of emergency. Emergency flowers? Uh, hey, don't ask me, okay? I mean, uh, I, I think he, he wants to impress some girl. Okay, right, right. The girl, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you better get on up there then. Okay, thank you. It, it kind of sounded more like, oh, but I know that you're about to be killed, so it's fine. Go ahead to your death. Oh. That's that's what I was taking from oh. it, but maybe I was reading too much into it, because I just, I really thought that the security guard was like, yeah, there's no way that this guy is trying to impress a girl. Yeah, I, thought, I was kind of thinking, like, if he was played off to be, like, gay. Yeah. Is that? It's possible. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Because he, he, he has, like, these kind of over-the-top sort of mannerisms. He does, but it's, you know, and it's that kind of, like, weird, troubling way that both, like, gay men and Asian men are, like, are written often. Uh-huh. Right, right. Uh, where, you know, maybe it's, like, a really high-pitched voice or, you know, these really over-the-top mannerisms. Right, right. Um, that are, that you can see over and over again and. Uh, right. both stereotypes of both characters right um so um it wasn't explicit but i kind of thought that was maybe it or maybe that guy was just a bad actor uh-huh, uh-huh. and he just the delivered it incorrectly. yeah the sec- yeah 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 no yeah, bd wong is the best say. i was about to yeah. say bd wong is a tony award winner <laughs> i don't know that <sighs> yeah for madam butterfly so, yeah, no. He's great. I think I'm just saying the security guard. Maybe he was just not delivering it as intended. Right. And then there's a the whole thing. Once they once he gets in, mm-hmm. Craig is there too, right? 
Uh, yeah, so, well, first, Tom, like, scales the side of the building, and he fights this other guy who has a sword. Yeah. And the guy, and the guy with the sword is like, the sword has been in my family for generations, and then Tom just picks up, like, a, a weight. Yeah. And then the sword, like, cracks. Yeah. As it hits the weight. And then, uh, I think Ethan Hawke uses the weight and throws it at the guy and then gets past him. Right. Um... And so then he's there and he's going to 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 get Gina. But then there's this whole confrontation. And then uh, Craig shows up and the cops show up. The crooked cops. The crooked cops show up. Yeah. And then later the good cops show up. Yeah, because, because Tom planted the actual tape in his voicemail. Right. And then he called the phone. And so the good cops that were at his house hear the recording right right that proves that the crooked cops were in it with lou yeah so everyone goes to jail yeah so everyone goes to jail except for craig even though he's a criminal yeah he's also a criminal but he does not get punished in any way and then at the end of the movie he's basically like oh this is the most exciting your life has ever been or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah and then uh one line that was pretty funny was um, Tom says to Craig, you're a lying, thieving, sociopathic criminal, and I thought you were a lawyer. <laughs> you know, the joke being that lawyers are all of those things. Yeah, they made a joke earlier where Craig says, never let the law stand in the way of a good time. And then Tom responds, you're going to make a great lawyer. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the end of the movie, basically. He uh, drops her off. Yeah. oh yeah and so then uh he's like i have three questions yeah well she goes inside and then he knocks on the door and says i have three questions for you right um i can't remember i didn't write down what they were but um they end up making out and then he goes inside with her yeah and presumably they uh have mystery sex to cap off their mystery date great and the movie takes place in one day Yes, one evening. And that's the end, basically, right? That's the end of the movie? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the only other thing, if my computer will cooperate, is I had I pulled up a couple of reviews. Oh, okay, That, cool. that came out at the time. Um, pretty negative. <laughs> uh, Roger Ebert gave it two out of four stars. Uh-huh. Which I think is, feels about right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, okay, it had some things going for it. First off, yeah. I think the, like setup was kind of clever where Mm -hmm. he's making him where craig is making tom into him yes and he's they're doing all these things where you're sort of like well why are they doing this it's just that he's egotistical but no he has this entire plot to like yeah it feels a little hitchcocky like that part like i can't think of so what specific hitchcock movie i'm thinking of but i do feel that there's like a um, yeah, it is kind of a clever setup where he, like, tricks his brother into going on this date and all this stuff mm-hmm. so that he can be the fall guy for his crime or whatever. Yeah, so he's an alibi. The way they do it, yeah, exactly. But the way they do it is just so, like, off the rails. And I feel like the yeah. major problem with the movie is the tone doesn't make any sense. Because, like, at parts it's, like, this hokey comedy. Like, with the guy fall, like, you know, there's a kind of home alone moment where the guy... The Dwight the flower guy falls off and gets run over by a train and mm-hmm. is fine. It's like, oh, so death isn't a thing in this universe. And then there's like a, all the stuff with Lou where he's like, he's going to shoot her or whatever. 
it's just weird like i you know there's there's ways there's a lot of ways to mash up comedy and action and all this stuff i just don't think this was the best way to do it mm-hmm. yeah so uh roger ebert as always his first line really just gets you in the gut he says here's a moronic comedy that plays like nothing so much as an exercise written for a TV sitcom class. Um, and he goes on to talk about uh, um, you know, the reasons like why it didn't work. Um, that there are characters we don't believe doing things we don't care about in a universe of total manipulation. And he says that those things wouldn't bother him if the movie were funny, right? But it wasn't funny, so right. it didn't work. Yeah, it only had a couple lines that really landed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and our our good friend Vincent Canby from the New York Times also had some things to say. The failing New York Times, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Vincent Canby always has some things to say about Ethan Hawke's <laughs> movies. Oh, okay. Um, well, because we've, I think we've talked about, we've covered his reviews on at least two other movies. Uh-huh. Definitely he was not a fan of Dead Poet Society, if I remember correctly. Right. Um, but anyway, so he says, uh, Mystery Date is an exceptionally unfunny farce about the worst night in the life of Tom McHugh, a college student whose elder brother arranges a blind date for Tom with a new young woman next door. Right. Which I don't actually think all of those things are true facts about this movie, but um so um yeah, so Vincent Canby really focuses in on BD Wong in this review. Okay. And he says uh his fi- his closing statement is all the performers work with enthusiasm for little effect. Among them is BD Wong who plays the leader of the Chinese gang and who once won a Tony Award for his performance in Madame Butterfly. Even a good actor's life is not easy. He takes what he can get. Dang. Pretty, pretty harsh. Yeah, there's uh, the Wikipedia article is brief because I don't think it was a super, um, yeah, popular yeah. movie. It it didn't have like the cult appeal or commercial appeal. Mm-hmm. It's like this is kind of not movie for anyone. <laughs> Except for podcasters. Yeah, it's a movie for... I mean, honestly, it feels like a movie for me, except for that I wish it was better. But right. because it has B.D. Wong, who, as I mentioned earlier, I have a vested interest in, um, and Terry Polo, who I... I recently just watched seasons... I just rewatched seasons six and seven of The West Wing because, unpopular opinion, those are the seasons I care about the most. Uh-huh. Um, Shocking. I know it's it's pretty uh, it's a pretty bold thing to say, and I worry that the fans will question your will taste. write in and say what are you thinking when Sorkin left the show was over. But anyway, I love Terry Polo. I love Helen Santos. Santos for America, two thousand six. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so it has really like a lot of components that I love. It has all a, t- a bunch of TV actors that I like and yeah. Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Um so yeah, it feels like it was made for me except for that it wasn't very good. Yes. Um one final thing that I wanted to say that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh the 
writers of this film were uh-huh. uh, Parker Bennett and Terry Runte. And sure. the only other film screenwriting credit that they have is the um, 1993 live action Mario and Luigi movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. I forgot what it's they, called. They share a credit for that too? Yeah, they share a credit for that too. Wow. With John Leguizamo as Luigi. <laughs> oh, John Leguizamo. So I don't know. Um, I don't really know anything more about them, but I just thought that was a fun fact. Yeah, and the director has done a few things actually Jonathan Wax uh, he directed this movie called Pow Wow Highway which was produced by George Harrison of the Beatles mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, the film was winner of the Sundance Film Festival Filmmakers Trophy nominated for four Independent Spirit Awards and winner of awards for Best Picture Director and Actor at the American Indian Film Festival in San Francisco which is interesting uh, he produced the acclaimed cult hit Repo Man. Oh, I'm familiar with that. Starring Emilio Estevez and Harry Dean Stanton and directed Mystery Date. So, yeah, he actually hasn't done that much. Mm-hmm. But he also directed an array of TV productions, including 21 Jump Street. So there you go. Jonathan Wax. So, yeah, uh, any concluding thoughts about this film? This movie kind of affirms my idea belief that doing an ethan hawk podcast is a good idea mm-hmm. because if all ethan hawk movies were good yeah it would not be that interesting mm-hmm. and just judging by the, okay we're five movies in now yeah i kind of liked one of them so far <laughs> which like one dead poets society oh okay yeah interesting i didn't love it i was like oh it's pretty good uh-huh like i get it you know <laughs> but and what else? We had Explorers as the first one, which yeah. is okay. Kind of creative, yeah. sci-fi, fun movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dead Poet Society, White Fang, which was okay. Pretty straight adaptation of a adventure story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dad. Dad, which was fine. And yeah. then this one. Yeah. So uh, we're off to an interesting start so yeah. far. Uh, a middling start, I would say. Middling. Middling, yeah. And I think that, I think this, I guess this is probably kind of sets up this like Ethan Hawke character, early Ethan Hawke character mm-hmm. of like this young, I mean, obviously, you know, he gets older cause that's how time works. <laughs> uh-huh. But of this like young sort of heartthrobby type of character, slightly bad boyish, but also slightly nerdy. Cause he's yeah, a similar like character early, yeah. to dad as well. Mm-hmm. He's pretty different than Dead Poets Society and that's set in a specific time and place and all that stuff. But this mystery date and dad, the character feel like they could be not too dissimilar. Like, I imagine the same posters on his wall in dad as I do in mystery date. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're kind of similar characters. They're nerdy, but they're, like, slightly outcast, slightly cool, like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Alternative. Alternative. Yeah, I think he's really, like, like a alternative... Gen Xer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, that but that, that's the whole thing, is that... that Ethan Hawke was sort of seen as this, like, voice of a, the Gen X sort of slacker generation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we're really going to see that when we get to Reality Bites. Uh-huh. I haven't seen that movie, but pretty much everyone I've talked to about doing this podcast has been like, oh, Reality Bites right. was a formative movie right. for me. 
Um, yeah. And I think uh, it's him and Winona Ryder, I think, just being real, uh, real mid-90s. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing is when you talk to people about Ethan Hawke is that they all, a lot of people have different jumping on points. Mm-hmm. You can kind of get an idea of, like, what they're, because there's a lot of, like, dead poet society people. Yeah. And then there's Reality Bites people. I feel like a lot of people don't even remember that Ethan Hawke was in Dead Poets, though. That's true, yeah. Because, you know, it's all about Robin Williams and Robert Sean Leonard, I think. Yeah, that's true. But I think a lot of people have different jumping on points for Ethan Hawke. Like, my sort of jumping on point, honestly, was Training Day. Yeah. Which I really like that movie. Mm -hmm. No spoilers. No spoilers. You've not seen it. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. He's, but I guess when you make like 70 whatever movies, mm-hmm. and I imagine that maybe he was trying to find out what he was going to do post, what direction he wanted to go in post uh, Dead Poet Society. Yeah. But I think at this point he still hasn't really found his footing. As an actor either, because I think that acting in this, his acting in this movie is, I mean, obviously even a good established actor like bd wong didn't have a lot to work with mm-hmm. i really yeah i think that they did the best that they could with what they were given yeah but i do think i actually think that his performance in dad was better than this yeah well there was more to chew on there I yeah think, as an actor because mm-hmm. there's sort of the emotional aspect of it but yeah. this there wasn't that much to work with and he just kind of plays up this like Oh, you what? You know, kind of flustered, flustered yeah. teen guy who's, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's my take on the film. Yeah. Anything? Any opinions you have on it? Um. No. No. Um. I mean, I feel like, you know, I yeah, like this. This movie could have been good one of my favorite movies of all time had it been you know easily with yeah. the cast that it had it could have been like yeah. a, a harper classic yeah um but it doesn't quite it didn't it didn't do what it needed to do i like this washington post review sorry you just really dropped that pen <laughs> my bad anyway I'm yeah the washington committed to post make review. as many noises as possible uh mystery date is an exclamation point movie Built on nothing but zany high points, it survives entirely on plot surprise. Maybe this kind of date is for you, but guess what? I'd rather be at the pub. <laughs> Just fun. It's cute. Yeah, it's all those sentences with exclamation points. Well, should we wrap this up? This episode? Yeah, this episode. No, we have a ton more to talk about. We do? Yeah. First oh, off, Hawk Fact. Yeah, well, yes, Hawk Fact. Before we get to that, oh. the name mystery date oh yeah it comes from the board game yes which i because when i I didn't know this but i googled mystery date Mm -hmm. and this is the result i got was this board game yeah which the basic premise of the board game is that have do you have you so you've heard of this game before have you yeah okay i had never heard of it before milton bradley company game released in 1965 conceived of by martin glass who developed a bunch of things in the board game world, toy game world. Uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, Operation. Mm-hmm. So this guy. So what's uh, tell us about Mystery Date, the game. Yeah, 
marketed for girls. Okay, this is on Wikipedia. Marketed to girls 16 to 14 years of age. It has been reissued in 1970, 1999, and 2005. It is popularly referenced as an icon and a trope for TV and film. It can be played with two or th- two, three or four players. The object of the game is to acquire a desirable date while avoiding the dud. The player must assemble an outfit by acquiring three matching color-coded cards, which then must match the outfit of the date at the mystery door. So I, presumably you don't want to show up wearing a ball gown to a bowling date. Mm-hmm. The date is revealed by spinning the door handle and opening the plastic door on the game board. The five possible dates are the formal dance, the bowling date, the beach date, the skiing date, and the dud. The date to be avoided is the poorly dressed dud. He's wearing slovenly attire, his hair is tussled. I don't know, sounds like a stud to me. And his face sports a beard shadow. This is the ultimate bad boy, wow. In the 1970s game, a picnic date replaces the bowling date. Mm. Which is interesting. I'd rather, I think I'd rather, I don't know. Bowling is fun, I like bowling. But I guess they thought it was two 1960s, so they replaced it with a picnic. If the player's outfit does not match the date behind the door, the door is closed and play continues. The book Timeless Toys described mystery date as if it were the result of crossing Barbie with let's make a deal. <laughs> Calling it an example of simple yet ingenious quality typically associated with Marvin Glass. It is now considered one of the most sought after games from the 60s and it is available. You can buy it online. It's sold by Bed Bath & Beyond. There's the Oh, there's a parody version. You can buy Target. Mystery Date Catfish Board Game for Adults. Parody of the classic Mystery Date game. Gross. Yeah, that's so upsetting. But yeah, you can find it pretty easily online, actually. For like 30 bucks, 20 bucks. Yeah. (laughs) So not bad. It's a a board game that people know. Yeah, I did not know it. Yeah. But I love it, and I want to try it. Great, yeah, we should get it, and then that could be... uh, We could do that at the Patreon episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We should, yeah, we should, we should have an episode where we play. The, we, we we replace the like different characters on the board with like different Ethan Hawke performances. <laughs> uh huh. So, I don't know who the dud would be. The dud. <laughs> Mystery date. Take a look. Oh my god, he's been in so many movies. What if what if one of them was the preacher from? Uh, oh, first reformed. Yeah. Yeah, or I don't know, maybe um, what's his uh. The dad from Boyhood at the beginning. Uh, not, really, not really a date I want. <laughs> Maybe like the dad from Boyhood at the end would be like a good date, but yeah, you know. So that would be fun. Uh, let's let's I'm gonna let's check out an ad for this game. He's here, my mystery date. Mystery date, are you ready for your mystery date? Date, the thrilling new Milton Bradley game of romance and mystery that's just for you. And you. And you. And you. Mystery date. Will you be ready for swimming? Or a dance? When you open the door, will your mystery date be a dream? Or a dud? Oh! Fun and surprises. That's mystery date. Remember, Milton Bradley makes the best games in the world. So girls, 
Mystery date. <laughs> that was fun. That is fun. Um, can I love you that add that link to the oh, yeah, spreadsheet? Sure. Uh, apparently, Chris Evans. Oh, yeah. Chris Evans was on the 2005 box for mystery date. He's like the mystery the date. or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That maybe how I actually originally knew of mystery date was because uh, that image was floating around on <laughs> Tumblr in yeah, like, you know, was. 2012 or something. Um, yeah. But I feel like if you're going to play it, it's got to be 1965. That's true. I feel like it kind of reminds me of this uh, board game I had when I was a kid. It was like a Polly Pocket game uh-huh. where you had to go around and you had to go like all of Polly Pocket's friends were having a, having parties and you had to go to every party and collect balloons. Uh-huh. And that's how you win, is by going to every party. Didn't you have a game where you were like, uh, it was a oh. therapy session or whatever? Oh, yeah. I think it was like Psychology the Game or something. <laughs> Psychiatry. Psychiatry. I forget what it was called. I never played it, but it's, it was one of my parents' weird old 60s board games. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this game, some of these games are just amazing. We should uh, go to my parents' storage unit and Maybe steal they have a mystery date. They could. They could. Yeah. We have definitely they definitely had um park and shop. Park and shop? Yeah, it's a game where you park and then you shop. <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Absolutely from a similar incredible. time in board games. Uh yeah. I didn't find any interviews with Ethan Hawk about this movie. I didn't either. I did look and all I could find were like trailers. Yeah. Well that's how I found the Chris Evans thing. Mm. Um so is it time for a hawk fact? Kaka. Kaka. So I figured that since this is a uh, movie about the showboaty habits of a man trying to impress a woman, I figured I would uh, share a fact about red-tailed hawks' uh, mating habits. Nice. So uh, this is for National Geographic. So basically, the dating life of red-tailed hawk, they're monogamous, and they do these elaborate aerial things uh, where they where the male is trying to court the female. Basically, uh, hawk pairs fly in large circles and gain height before the male plunges into a deep dive and subsequent steep climb back to circling height. So they sort of circle one another. The male sort of circles the female. Later, the birds grab hold of one another with their talons and fall spiraling toward Earth. So, there you go. Nice. They, too, like Ethan Hawke, our hero in this story, put on an elaborate show for their prospective girlfriends. Very true and relevant. Yeah, I like to keep my hawk facts relevant. So, there you go. Good hawk fact. That's all I got. Yep. Anything else? Anything we need to wrap up with? Oh, uh, we have a few questions that we got. I forgot about. That's fun. Um, So it's a good thing that you stopped me from finishing the podcast earlier. Yeah, well, we would have finished without a hawk fact, and that would have been a nightmare. Yeah, that's true. I'm really off my game today. Uh, Just a note for listeners. We took a four-month break 
between recording this episode, <laughs> the last episode and this one. Was it really four months? Uh, it was three or four months, yes. Oh, boy. So, um, but we're back on it. So if we're rusty, if we sounded like we finally figured out what we were doing in the last episode, and in this episode we're back to square one, it's because we are. <laughs> nice. I'm just kidding. We're, like, at square two. Um, Sweet. So... Yes, I am going to just post this Instagram story and then read our fan questions. <laughs> Crucial. Yeah. Let's wait in silence while that happens. <laughs> no, we can uh, banter. You know, don't you love the bants? Yeah. Um, what do we got here? Uh, Gio, friend of the podcast, Giovanni Bayani, yeah. asks asks i have a really hard time saying that word um tell us about yours mystery date (laughs) (laughs) verbatim what he said tell us about yours mystery date uh i wonder if he's asking us to talk about a date we've been on i guess we could do that um (laughs) have we really been on a date (laughs) Sure, but not like a... Like a first date. Yeah. Yeah. Our first date, we went to Trader Joe's and bought tortillas. Yeah. That's a true story. So, there you go. Some uh, fun... A little fun fact about us. <laughs> I mean, we go on dates, but we... we no, we go on dates we were now, together, but we, yeah. Yeah. We didn't have a first date, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that Trader Joe's outing was really it. Um, then, uh, other friend of the podcast, Lauren Bresnahan. Lawrence asks, uh, who is your mystery date? <laughs> well, my mystery date is obviously the surfer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, about you? what were my options? Let's go. Let's go. Let's take a look. Let's see what yeah. the mystery date yeah, is. Yeah. We've got, uh... Formal dance, the bowling, the beach, the skiing date, and the dud. Um, I'm gonna say the bowling date. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that makes the most sense to me. Yeah. Because you're not especially formal. No, it would be fun though. I like to dress up sometimes. Yeah. You yeah. know, have a nice fancy. But I feel like the beach and skiing are probably not your no. scenes. You'd rather I go with a dud. I have never actually been skiing. I don't like the beach, first off. But yeah. um, skiing, I've never been real skiing. But my 12th birthday was at this place called Virtual Snow. <laughs> that um, basically it was like treadmills, like uh, slanted treadmills that you skied and snowboarded on. It was pretty dope. That's the closest I've been to skiing. <laughs> Yeah, very authentic sounding. Yeah, well, listen, when you grow up in L.A. and you have parents that would never go to a place with snow, really. Yeah, I've sledded. You've sledded? Yeah, like on those, like as a kid, on you a know, sled. those plastic sleds. Yeah. Yeah. I've never done that. I've done that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's terrifying because you don't have any control over it. Uh-huh, yeah, sounds awful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um. So, yeah, bowling date. That's good my Good choice, good date. choice. What did I say? Surfing? Surfing. Beach yeah. date? Beach date. Yeah, all right. Any other questions? Um, nope. That, that was it. Just Gio and Lauren. Great. You can always depend on those two to come in <laughs> clutch with the questions. 
Yeah. Um, but hopefully as we start to actually post these episodes on the internet, uh, <laughs> we'll get them. some more questions. Yeah. Um, yeah, so why don't we plugs where can people find you well first off the next next thing we're doing is we're watching the film a midnight clear from 1992 yeah i don't know anything about that movie i feel i think it's a war movie it's a war movie (laughs) maybe world war one 1992 directed by keith gordon i i have seen i have seen one still from the film because i uh recently created a collage of ethan hawks sure for our website um uh it it kind of struck me as a world war one look Uh but that's really all i know it's snowy you know world war one was very snowy (laughs) i just feel like you know joyeux noel like you have all this i feel Uh like all of the world war one imagery is very snowy sure yep but who knows maybe we'll find out that it was another war Yep. Well, you'll so hear all about it week. next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are our plugs? Plugs. Where can people find you? Oh, yeah. On uh, social media uh, or. Formspring. <laughs> find me on Formspring. Uh, Friendster. And the other one I'm big on is uh, uh, Snapcrab. Snapcrab. Yeah. Gross. Three send each other pictures of. Genital crabs. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, fine. You can find me on Instagram at John Zavaleta, J O N Z A V A L E T A. I post like once a month, maybe. Mm-hmm. I occasionally update my stories. So if you love that kind of, you know, user engagement, check it out. Mm-hmm. And um, what's something you're enjoying in media right now? Oh, that is unrelated to Ethan Hawke. Boy, I'm trying to rewatch Thirty Rock, but I've watched like three episodes. Yeah, I feel like you've been saying that, but I live with you and I haven't seen you rewatch a single episode. Yeah, so. it was like a month ago. Yeah. Um. Well, you can find me at Harping About on Instagram, uh, and I just watched season two of On My Block. It was really good, and I would highly recommend it. I would recommend the whole show but I think season two, they did a great job of expanding on what they started in season one. Um, That's on Netflix. Uh Um, Anyway, and then you can follow the show uh, at Hawkeye's Pod on Instagram. And we're working on getting... And you could also follow us on Facebook. You could like us on Facebook. That would be great. Um, And we're working on our website and other things. So... Stay tuned, and we'll be sure to let you know more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Thanks, guys. This episode was produced by Harper Thompson and myself, Jonathan Zavaleta. It was edited by Harper Thompson and our intro music, Hawk Song, It's written and recorded by Connor Vance.